It's time for Bring Your Own Lunch, a podcast for your whole face, with your host, Dave T. Koenig. All right, come on in, have a seat, welcome. This is the Bring Your Own Lunch podcast at bringyourownlunch.com, the magic of iTunes, the majesty of Stitcher, and however you found your way to download this program, I thank you. As you heard at the top, my name is Dave T. Koenig. I'm an actor, writer, director, producer, comedian, all-around swell dude and former Ben and Jerry's ice cream scooper, and of course, the host of the program you're listening to right now, BYOL. That's the hashtag we use if you want to get involved in real time, such as it is with a podcast, because real time isn't possible. But anyway, I'm glad you're here. Um, I had this idea. I wanted to do a social experiment. Um, I'm a big fan of language, and I'm also really a big fan of social experiments. So I wanted to see if I could use this podcast to do one. Um, and in typical me fashion, I want it to be the dumbest thing ever. So here's what I like to do. Uh, if, if, if I want to, I want to try to uh, coin a phrase. It's an offshoot of another phrase, and I'll explain. But I do want to sort of create something new. And my goal is that if I could throw it out into the world, and somebody says it back to me without realizing I'm the idiot who came up with it, I will be so happy. It it, it won't mean anything to anybody, and it's not really worth much at all. But I, I think it'd be really cool if it works. Now, when somebody says, "Hey, do you like ice cream?" You're like, "Yeah, sure, absolutely." And and a little while ago, somebody came up with the phrase "totes my goats," which is an awful, terrible phrase. Um, and and I it's used ironically, and even when it's used ironically, I still think it's awful. So as I'm playing that in my head for no good reason, as I'm doing dishes the other night, uh, I turned it into "totes my goats." I don't know why, but that's what happened. And that's what I'd like to start. So if you could, out of the kindness of your, of your heart, the next time somebody says something like, hey, you want to go to the movies, you say back to them, Turts McGirts. Don't explain why. Don't act as though this is something you're doing as a social experiment. Just put it on the table and leave it. And let's see what happens. And if I hear back, Turts McGirts, or if I see it tweeted, or somebody on Facebook says, Turts McGirts, we're all going to be in on something that's very, very cool. And the social experiment will have proven successful. And if I never hear it again, well, at least we get a, a result. I, I think there's nothing that can be lost. I think this is a win-win situation. So no matter what, just go out. Next time somebody says something that requires an affirmative, just say Turts McGirts and, and, and I will report back to you my findings. My guest this week is Shay Delin. Uh, you may know her uh, from her time spent on the show Dharma and Greg. She played Jane Doe, that's D-E-A-U-X, and uh, she also played the cousin in National Lampoon's Vegas Vacation, and uh, she's been in, in Alpha House late, more recently, um, a couple of great uh, parts in, in various things, and uh, she's got a, a role in the upcoming final season of Boardwalk Empire, which is pretty exciting. Uh, what's interesting is that, uh, when I do this podcast and I have a guest on, I never really have a specific agenda. I have a basic idea of what I want to accomplish, but when things come up, I'm happy to talk about them no matter what the subject or however it takes us. And in this case, boy, is that true? Because she and I got into some subjects that are, uh, fascinating, first of all, and second of all, just mind blowing. And I do want to, um, stress ahead of time that, 
you will hear the word or the N word a couple of times. It's said in the proper context. It's certainly not said with any malice. And it's really to illustrate a story about racism um, that Shay uh, tells me about. But if you are sensitive to that term, I want you to know ahead of time that it will come up um, and and it will uh, be part of a larger to serious discussion about race. Um, but I'd hate for you to come up. Uh, to that word in the podcast and, and not be aware of it ahead of time. Uh, so there's that. But we we go from race to um, uh, uh, international relations and and uh, the socioeconomics uh, the situation in South America. I mean, we covered the gamut in this one. We touched briefly on her acting career uh, with specifically about Dharma and Greg and and um, uh, Vegas vacation. But really, we talk about what life is like now and and how she's continuing to uh, explore uh, the world of acting and also bring in far greater concepts than 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 acting goofy on camera and how she uh, makes them work together. And, and, and I think it's a really fascinating conversation. I met Shay uh, sort of by chance, although it's not really by chance. We have the same commercial agents, uh, the good folks at Abrams Artists, who I always appreciate uh, and um, haven't really thanked well enough on this show, but but they're, they're great. Um, and uh, she and I were there for an audition. We struck up, a, struck up a conversation. She was relatively new to Abrams, whereas I've been there for a few years. So I was sort of just offering her some advice about uh, how they do things there and, and what have you. And, and we stayed in touch. And, and lo and behold, I find out later that she was on Dharma and Greg and in Vegas vacation. And uh, She's certainly extremely humble, and and it wasn't going to be like, well, you know, I was on Dharma and Greg. Not that kind of person. In fact, somebody who, as you'll hear, is more interested in giving to other people rather than shedding light on herself. And so I hope you really will enjoy this conversation. The subject of race comes up, and uh, (laughs) it made me think about something. Uh, It's a fun conversation or a fun story to relate uh, as we uh, are not that far from October and Halloween which has certainly become uh, one of the highlight holidays of the year for my daughter. She's obsessed with Halloween, and I, as a parent, will try to help her choose her costumes wisely and sensitively. And I say that because um, when I was in sixth grade, I was a huge comedy fan, and I still am. Uh, But at the time, being a young child and being very impressionable and really uh, paying attention to what was on TV... My being in sixth grade or so coincided with Eddie Murphy's emergence as the star on Saturday Night Live. And I loved Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live. I wanted to do everything he did. I wanted to uh, be as funny as he was, even though I, I knew I could never be that funny. And I wanted to emulate the characters he did, like James Brown or... or uh, uh, this, uh, who are the other characters? Jeez, I can't, I'm, off the top of my head, I'm, I'm forgetting. Although I do remember one specific character I really wanted to be. And it fit in so well at Halloween time. When I was in sixth grade, I wanted to be Buckwheat. And I wanted to be Buckwheat as played by Eddie Murphy. And my mom, being a very supportive mom, did everything she could to help me make that costume come to life. So we got a wig and we got jeans and we put Ote on them because that was a big thing. And uh, I, I dressed as well as I could to look like Buckwheat. But you can imagine the shock of the people at school when I showed up for the Halloween party at my elementary school. 
in blackface. Now, this is not something I'm proud of looking back on it, but I can honestly say at the time that as a very naive and very well-meaning sixth grader, that I was doing that purely as a tribute. I would never do that now. I would never think that was okay to do now. But as you can uh, probably imagine, it made an impression on me and the people around me. In fact, I remember going to one of my friends, Lafayette Butler, who happens to be black. He took one look at me, put his head down, and shook. And I wasn't quite sure why. Because I grew up in a very culturally mixed uh, environment. I mean, my town had its, you know, issues with people getting along. But growing up, I had friends who were black, who were white, who were uh, Jewish, who were Catholic, who were Indian, who were Italian born, who who came from a lot of different social backgrounds. I had friends who were Chinese, Japanese, what have you. Um, and even though the town itself uh, is sort of like a conclave of of Caucasianism, um, I still managed to be able to be exposed to and have friends who were of all races, creeds, colors, what have you. So for me, dressing like buckwheat wasn't making fun of buckwheat or making fun of people who were African-American or people who were poor. It was purely out of admiration and adulation of Eddie Murphy and the job he was doing on Saturday Night Live. And as I get into this conversation with Shay DeLynn, uh, I, I realize how my perspective on things sometimes shields me from what's really going on in the world because I wouldn't think twice about anybody of a specific color and I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't think twice that they're, they're the potential for them to be as good as me or anybody else uh, isn't there I mean it's just I, I believe that everybody is created equal it's just your deeds and your actions and 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 your behaviors and how you treat others that really defines who you are as a person so for me I don't have those thoughts, and I sometimes forget that other people still do. And the conversation that I have in this interview really drives home the fact that there's still a lot of things to be done. I mean, obviously, the headlines in the news these days uh, really are stark reminders that we have not exactly gelled together as a society as well as we need to and should and I hope will. So on one hand, it's very safe to imagine the world as getting along at all times. But it's not bad every once in a while to be reminded that there's still a lot of work to be done. And I will continue to do my part in the name of Buckwheat and everyone else out there. Got to make sure we thank some people before we continue. Of course, Banuba, they're the people who provide the music for this show at the beginning, middle, and end. You can go check out their website, banuba.net. B-A-N-O-O-B-A dot net. That is their website. And um, you can find out where they will be. Download some of their music. They are terrific. Uh, the New York Short Film Shootout happens on Tuesday, September 30th at 8 p.m. at Treehouse Theater in New York City. You can go to nysfso.com for more information about that. We're going to be announcing the lineup of films for this next event, NYSFSO3. That will be announced later this week. It may already be announced by the time you download this. I don't know what your schedule is. Also, want to uh, talk about something we are going to talk about with Shade Lynn, but it's worth mentioning again. She's involved with a organization called Hear Me, 
And it's fantastic. Just hearing about it from her, I'll let her explain more about it. But it's a music program for orphaned, homeless, and disadvantaged young people. Uh, not just here in the U.S., but around the world in places that you wouldn't ever necessarily think common ground exists these days. But they have found a way to bring children together through the uh, beauty of music and, and let them play together. Uh, you really ought to uh, ch check it out. Uh, you can find out more at hearmehub.org. Just wanted to throw them a plug just because I think it's awesome. Also, just as a little thing, um, uh, it, perhaps by the time you see this, uh, we are going to have t-shirts for sale. If you want to support this program, there's a lot of ways you can do it. Uh, you can just tell a friend to, to listen to the show. You can, uh, there's, uh, I have to admit, there's a little tip jar on the website, bringyourownlunch.com. Uh, you can also buy T-shirts starting this week. You can uh, buy the uh, – we set up a Cafe Press um, store, and you could buy logo T-shirts for Bring Your Own Lunch, and that's a way to support us. You can also support us by going to uh, our Amazon.com store or follow our Amazon.com link. I'm still learning about how all this stuff works with the Amazon.com. But basically, if you click on our Amazon.com link on our website – you are taking Amazon.com and everything you buy there, which is at the normal price you'd pay, whether you go to us first or not. But we get a little bit of a percentage back. And that's another way to support BringYourOwnLunch.com if you want to continue the listening to this for free for as long as we can possibly imagine bringing it to you. I think that's all I got to say. So let's get into it with Shay Lynn, writer, director, actor, and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it, humanitarian. Enjoy the conversation because, uh, oof, uh, despite our early technical difficulties, this this one is uh, oof, this one is big. Enjoy. So we can actually hear each other. Ah, nice. I hear you. You hear me. <laughs> Do you want me to close the window? No, no. This is fun. No, I'm. You you don't realize how thrilled I am. <laughs> To actually be having sound go into these microphones and then being recorded by this thing and that's sitting in front of me that I wanted to throw out said window about three minutes ago. <laughs> this is totally the life lesson, right? Yeah, right. If you have a down moment, you're going to appreciate the normal much more. That's right. That's right. I'm not going to care what happens with this show at all at this point. <laughs> We're we're already ahead of the game because we can actually use these uh, this this equipment that I brought with me lugged all the so way cool. here. Um, what you were saying about your brother? I think it was. I mean, if you if you don't mind. So my brother died when he was twenty three, but he was a sound engineer, and I swear he plays tricks on me. He was also a comedian. He was a really <laughs> funny guy, and he plays tricks on me through sound equipment. <laughs> Besides this one, what's a good one that he pulled? Um, there was a, well, immediately after he died, he came to us through all kinds of, of stereo equipment. And wow. whenever we were telling a joke in the living room, the stereo would come on like as if it was laughing. Wow. And then one day in my parents' apartment, we could hear a radio play, but we could not figure out where the sound was coming from. And it was under the bathroom sink that we found this old transistor radio that just had just started playing all by itself. That's amazing. <laughs> when you said it, I was like, ah, I'm sure you have a couple stories, but that sounds like you have like real, like real experiences that that are enough to freak anybody out. Yeah, they're um, and in the beginning they were freaky, but I was thinking the other day, 
somewhere they were asking you to thank someone who's had a profound effect on you and how they have had a profound effect on you. And I was thinking, this is really too strange to say, but I'm going to say it here. Go ahead. Um, that I really thank him for passing on to the other side because he really opened up a window of faith that I would never have had access to. Interesting. If he wasn't there and continually communicating to me in those little ways that, I mean, if I list the ways they're undeniable, you know, they're like, sure, sure, okay, yeah. well, that just isn't, it's not possible. Yeah, once or twice, yeah. So you you gain faith from that. And if you didn't have that, I guess, helper from mm -hmm. the other side, how would you ever have access to that knowledge? And that, that gives you so much strength in your life. And so I'm so grateful for him, not that he made that sacrifice for me or that he did that for me in any sense. But, no, no. But for the fact that he's continually communicating with me, I think is... That's you know, a, a huge gift. And that's a beautiful way to look at death because everybody's got their own way of dealing with this incredible unknown that we just don't really have any way of ever knowing. And, and up to this point, um, there isn't an agreement on what actually happens. So if you can in some way find not just, you know, comfort or, or acceptance mm -hmm. in losing somebody, but to, to actually look at it as as a gift to you, I'm sure he doesn't mind. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it's, I've, I've never heard it articulated that way. So it's really, that's, that's fascinating. It's, it's, it's strange to um, try to share with people, particularly if they've had someone recently pass on, you know, mm. I want to say, you know, just keep your eyes and ears open for the fact that this is now your gift, that this person is going to be able to communicate with you and right, share right. with you the fact that there are things beyond what you can see. It's difficult to say that to someone. Yeah, probably in the heat of the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But very frequently later on in the, in the you know process, I share with other people and they always share the same thing back that they have had the, you know, same experience and that it's just been incredible to have this other, this angel, if you will. Yeah. That's fa I mean, I'm, fa I'm always fascinated by stories like that because, and I have had very few experiences like that. I usually, it's usually through somebody else. Like there's, uh, I, I did college radio and, uh, the guy who ran the college radio station is a guy named Bruce Avery. And, uh, we had students who worked there and we had community people involved and they did their own shows on the radio station. One of them was hosted by, uh, Telly Savalas's brother. You remember, oh. you remember Telly Savalas, oh, Kojak, his brother, Teddy hosted a show of green. <laughs> I know it seems kind of, it's, no, that's funny, it's, it almost sounds like change some, a couple yeah. letters. In fact, you only have to put the little loop on. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Never quite figured out whether or not he was uh, a fraud. Uh, no, no, he was honest to God. He was honest to God. Telly Savalas's brother, Teddy. <laughs> younger or older? Just curious. I, you know, it's, I think he was a little younger, but by the time I had met Teddy, uh, Telly had already passed. And oh. uh, Teddy was older. Uh, you know, I was in college, so everybody was almost older who was an adult. But. Um, I, I got the sense that he maybe had been a younger brother, but I never actually talked to him about it. So long story short, uh, Teddy invited Bruce to his house and they go in the backyard and there's this 
kind of like a shrine. And I, I guess based on Greek, whatever Greek cultural thing it was based on, but it was like a shrine to Telly. And it was a picture of Telly and a, a candle that wasn't lit. And uh, they're talking and, and, and night starts to fall. And Bruce looks over and notices that the, the candle was now lit. And he goes, that is, he said, Teddy, that's amazing. You have a system that uh, lights up the candle at night. And Telly said, or Tim, I'm mixing it up. But Teddy says, that candle has never been lit. Go, no. How do you explain that one? Yeah. Yeah. So now either that but is did like he, but he saw that the candle was lit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was like it freaked them both out. Pretty. I mean, that. I mean, how do you how do you explain that one? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that so many people. I mean, even in my immediate circle, so many people say, "Oh, you know, I've never seen anything like that. That right, stuff right. doesn't happen, or whatever." And I think. How in the world could you have missed it? Yeah, right, right, right. There's just stuff like that happening all the time. Yeah, all yeah. The time. And I'm I'm still not sure what to make of that one. You know, I'm it's still to this day. It, it it if nothing else, it's a great story for me to tell. But it's like, how do you, you like how do you how do you reconcile that in your head without just for opening me, up the idea? Now, yeah, because you, of my brother, mm -hmm. and then you know the the opening that that made for communication with others. That's just obvious. Uh, yeah, that's what that is. That you know, I don't even question it. Yeah, no, and probably that's the best way to go about it is just to accept what happens and then and realize that we have no idea what the heck's going on. Yeah, I mean, I can say that in a general sense anyway. So it's like you know, to to just expand that beyond like our living beings that that, that we have no idea what's going on is is probably right up my alley anyway. So yeah. So I told you we didn't really have a definite <laughs> so path we were going we to follow on that. All kinds of stuff. But I do want to talk. I, I do want to talk about you. First of all, I, 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 if if anybody's listened to the show, they know I kind of have like this minor to major fascination with names. So can oh, we talk about your name? Yeah, sure. All right, Shay Dillon. Um, the, the first name is was a Scotch Irish last name of a okay. director of a film that my parents saw when they were, you know, pregnant and. Oh, that's a very They cool. just liked the sound of the name Shay, so they changed the spelling from E-A to A-E. And then Delin sounds French or It does. Whatever, it, it's an interesting combination of cultural influences. It's not. It's not. It's really my mother had a friend named Kaylin. Oh, okay. And she liked that sort of sound, and so she changed it to Delin. And so that's my first and middle name. Okay. And then I use it as my last, my first and last name for, you know, stage purposes. But now, strangely, there are Shay Delins all over. There are on Facebook, I think, five Shay Delins, different people who have the same name. Do, do, you, do you think, I mean, that's, that's almost impossible to imagine that's coincidence. Yeah, no, I, no. Mean, <laughs> I don't think it's coincidence. That's but that's that's got to blow your mind, though. It just literally was last week or the week before that I even knew that because somebody else told me, and then then I looked it up. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy! How how see? I, I'm nowhere near on a level of somebody naming their children after me. So, well, I don't think they're naming them after me, as in you know, we love her. We want to name a child. <laughs> 
But, but, you know, you don't see a lot of people naming their kids Hitler, you know? It, so That's it's got to be that you have a positive connotation <laughs> in people's minds. I think it's just they like the sounds of the of the names. Well, what is very nice. I mean, I'm, I'm fond of Shea anyway. Uh, well, I grew up on Long Island and I grew up a Met fan, so they played at Shea Stadium, but that's not, it, it, that, that's only part of it. My daughter's middle name is Shea, but, but spelled the traditional way. The EA way. The EA way, yeah. Uh, is that because that's your heritage? Are you Scottish It, it sounded or? nice to us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. my wife is part Irish, but really it was just, it sounded really nice. And we had that sort of idea. My, my mom named me and my brother and my sister, uh, gave us middle names that we could ostensibly uh, cut off the last name and have a Hollywoodish sounding name. They had that in their minds. Yeah. My mom was not at all stage mom, except for that. I think that was her biggest stage mom moment. Um, and we sort of kind of did that with my daughter a little bit. If she wants to go by her first and middle name when, when she gets older, it sounds cool. So yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a fan of that name of any spelling, really. Yeah. I like, yeah. I like it too. I mean, to my parents' credit. Um, so okay, well, let's talk about your your youth then. Like when youth. your youth, where did where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Texas, but moved from Texas at age three. But I really think of when you said your youth, I thought, oh yeah, playing with ants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's all. That's it all counts. Youth. It all adds to the the the, the pastiche that is you. So I why guess, not? Yeah, that's and and I definitely get work. Um, doing the Texas thing. So that's mm -hmm. definitely something that um, is intrinsic. Where, when I mean, you were playing with ants, and that's the first thing you thought of when I said your childhood. I mean, what was your childhood like? And well, was it when I was very young back in Texas, mm -hmm. that's what I remember about Texas is being out in the backyard um, in the sunshine and just wanting to spend the whole day out there playing with the ants. And, you know, it's a very simple feeling yeah. very basic sunshine and little creatures. And then later when I moved to Colorado, we had an earthworm farmer next door. <laughs> well, he was a farmer who had earthworm, whatever you call them. They're like big tables filled with earth that earthworms are, you know, being farmed. So on. he was an earthworm farmer. So yeah, I mean, that's pretty fair. Yeah. And I went over there and I played with the earthworms. I helped him with his earthworm farming. That's awesome. <laughs> so I always was like connected to like these little burrowing creatures, I guess, that made these little houses in the earth and What 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 were the earthworms purpose for this farmer? I mean I'm guessing he didn't milk them. I'm so sure what he what sold the, I guess did he, he sold the sold worms them? or sold the earth or He's, um interesting. I don't know. Maybe they aerated the soil. Yeah, or I'm wondering. His farm? Good question. I don't even know. I oh. I kind of assumed that he was like making worms for people to fish with. Yeah. I don't well, know. Maybe I guess there's plenty of fishing out there in Colorado. <laughs> Why did you move to Colorado? Um, my father got a job teaching. Mm -hmm. My father was a um, calculus advanced math teacher when I was young. Oh, wow. And then he became president of the teachers union, the Colorado Education Association. And that that's come up recently because... <clears throat> To get onto politics. <laughs> well, why not? What the heck? It's frustrating to me that we've let go of our unions and that we've now got to this point where, I mean, even I personally have experienced within the last few years the de-unionization of our industry. Yeah, and yeah. now the fact that, you know, you work 13 hours as a, you know, in the art department or whatever aspect of the film industry you're in and 
you get a half an hour break and you get half the money that you did. Yeah. But even as an actor, um, shall we talk money? I don't know. Why not? I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with whatever. And I've, hopefully the idea being that somebody who is interested or just getting started in the business can can take some wisdom from you. Yeah. Because you've seen a lot. information. Yeah. So, um, you know, my very first job in the industry was on Quantum Leap, which was mm-hmm. – whatever that was a million years ago um <laughs> it was less than a million 20 maybe i got yeah, um and give or take i got seventy five hundred dollars for the guest you know spot on quantum leap that was your that was your rate that was the day rate. seven thousand five hundred dollars was for the week for the, for the week. week um but now doing what you would consider equivalent work you get eight hundred and sixty nine. Is it eight hundred twenty for the week or for the day? For the day. Oh, for, for the, the day. day. Yeah, yeah. For the day. Um, it's it has changed a lot. It's changed a lot. And digital film. I mean, there are very there are a lot of aspects to the change. It's not just one thing, but the producers are still making a killing, and you know we've let go of our um, our awareness of why. We unionized. Yeah. I think I think there is some of that. I think there is some – it's hard not to think that some people maybe have lost touch with what we all do as a collective versus like what, what a small percentage of people get to do, which is show up and make a, a million dollars. You know, the majority of us don't do that. I mean, hopefully someday someone will hand me a million dollars to do something. That would be awesome. Right. And I wouldn't begrudge them for offering it. But I think you do have to think of – it all as a community. Yeah. Uh, that if, if it's good for me, I hope that it is also good for everybody who comes after me. And I, that's got to be the way to think. Yeah. But maybe we're not, you know. Well, I mean, there was all there was always room for a certain level of, it's like, say, a character actor could make a living being a character actor. Yeah. Back in the day, even five years ago, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that's not possible anymore. And I've been talking to friends saying, you know, p- friends have been in the business for a really long time doing stage Broadway and, you know, picking up television and movie character parts mm-hmm. and that they can't make a living doing that anymore. Yeah. it's. It, it, I think a lot of it, it's the proliferation of cable uh, where you can run things a million billion times and we don't get paid per airing necessarily it used to be an assumption and you could probably speak to this better than I could because you did quantum leap. Yeah. Let's use that as an example. And you did, oh, I guess it was a guest star role and you got paid $7,500 for that week, but you also at the time were collecting residuals. Yeah. So how, how, how much above that 7,500 were you getting in the long run? Uh, I don't know. Really? I couldn't even possibly tell you. I would say, Let's say for that 70s show. I did one episode of that 70s okay, show. Okay, that's a better example. Still today, I make more money from that one episode on that 70s show than I did on Dharma and Greg, than I do on Dharma and Greg per episode. That's amazing. So it's the the science of it is beyond my <laughs> understanding. It's, I have no yeah. idea how it works. Um I don't know how the Screen Actors Guild keeps that information. Yeah, privilege to the Screen Actors Guild. 
at one point I was told by the Screen Actors Guild about a, a situation with um, a television show with Dharma and Greg. I'll just be specific. <laughs> um, what the heck? That the contract had been renegotiated and that the information was privileged to Screen Actors Guild and the producer. And the I outcome said, of that negotiation? Really? Yeah, I said, um, I'm so confused about that because yeah. aren't you our union? Like, why would there ever be any information that's privileged between you and the producer? And I wrote letters and mm-hmm. all the way up the line, and th- that was the answer. That's so strange. So, yeah, you know, it's very, it's, I don't know, everything in the world right now is becoming a little bit more... Um, Exposed, we're learning a lot more about yeah. what goes on behind the curtain and it's true. the Wizard of Oz and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it's really important now more than ever. I guess the overall thing I was wanting to say was that it's really important now more than ever that you stand up for yourself in terms of your health, your needs. You know, you're working for a living. And I'm so happy about the strike that the fast food workers just conducted. I just think that's so courageous and so important for the health of our communities and, you know, the world. Yeah. We all keep standing up for ourselves and just don't work yourself into the ground thinking like you're so desperate and you have to make a dollar and you'll be a lot less desperate if you just stand up and say, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go and go home and get some sleep. And and that's and that goes back to what unions were established for to begin with. You know, the idea of, yeah. you know, you can't make somebody work seven days a week and work 10 hours a day and expect that that is going to create a better society. You know, you can't, you can't sustain a society with a large percentage of everybody being stuck in a factory for seven days a week, 10 hours a day, and then start the next week doing the same thing all over again. I mean, you have to have a balance. And yeah, when that balance isn't afforded to you, it, it, it makes life, it makes life pretty lousy to yeah. say the least. So no, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I, I am grateful that there is a union that I do work with uh, and that, that a lot of the aggravation has already been dealt with by people who came before us. And, and I'm yeah. very grateful about that. And I just hope we don't, uh, I hope we don't screw it up beyond belief because it's kind of tenuous. You know, there, there is a, there's a finite amount of, uh, good that that will do for us in the long run. If we don't, uh, if we don't take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Trying to, I understand we're all poor and you know, we need work and all of that, but Working non-union, I really feel like, is really just going to be the death of us all. We have to just stick to our guns and stick together and try to stand up. Yeah. It's it's getting that message out about having people uh, get on board with that idea. You know, and it, and I understand that, like you said, you understand the struggle because you want to work. You want to you have food on the table. You want to have a roof over your head. Um, so you can't on one hand begrudge an individual for working a job, especially if they aren't in the union yet, but then, and people who are in the union and aren't taking care of what that means is to me really destructive. Yeah, it really is. I I saw a documentary. I wish I could remember if it was Century of the Self. Anyway, it was about, um, 
about the workforce and about really how the 1% controls the minds of the populace in the sense that, you know, it's not possible for one guy to make everybody do everything. And so what happens is that all of the people become brainwashed to a certain degree and start controlling each other. So mm -hmm. they all become sort of soldiers of the ideas. Mm -hmm. And within the non-union workforce, you'll find that everybody thinks that if you say anything about, you know, we need a 15-minute break, like, oh, that guy's not really uh, cool. Like, you know, oh, that's yeah. a bad egg. Like, yeah. we don't want to hang out with that person because they're, like, making trouble. And yeah. everyone wants to be seen as cooperative and cool and, mm -hmm. you know, fun to work with right, and right. easy to get along with. And so there's a so, sort of whole mindset that comes along with that, which is like, well, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll work more. Yeah, 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 sure. You know, no, 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 no. We don't need to sleep at school. It's cool. Right, right. And before you know it, like... That's the accepted. Yeah, this yeah. is the way you have to live. Everybody has to work all the time. Yeah, it's 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 the exact opposite of unionizing, you know. And isn't it ironic that somebody who is not afraid to speak up, who isn't afraid to be uh, the stick out like a sore thumb in acting, and and maybe you could talk a little bit more about this. The people who do stand out are the ones who do. Uh, better, you know, that do stand yeah. out uh, among their peers. They, you say, oh, that's the person I want to put in that thing. Yeah. But if you are working already and you start to stand out, then people around you start to, you know, shrink away from you. It's it's very interesting that the same personality that can get you the job can also maybe get you in trouble, like you said, like quote unquote in trouble. Yeah, you see that in the TV world or any any place where you have a, sort of a long term stint of employment where there's bureaucracy that starts to you know get put in place, mm. but when it's a shorter term job and the art is allowed to rise to the top, then you see more eccentric um, individuals. We were mm. talking about Dolly Parton the other day. How Dolly Parton was inspired by the town whore. She thought, oh, this woman is free. Look <laughs> at her. She gets to do whatever she wants. Yeah. And I want to wear my hair like that. And I want to do. And she's so pure and so honest and so open about who she is. And she embraced this, you know, kind of crazy false caricature and mm -hmm. wore it like, um, a badge of honor that she was like such an honest, open, loving, pure heart that she became hugely popular. Right. We all want icons that are able to stand up for themselves and be unique and inspire us to be our unique selves and artists are meant to do that. And so, um, obviously, so for films and for, I don't know, painters and musicians particularly because they have, seem to have more control over their um, lifestyle and their art, their art in general. Um, yeah, we want those. We want those icons. Yeah, it's but true. when, you know, when it gets to be sort of a, a group mentality thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone starts to go with the flow, mm -hmm. do what the boss says, and yeah, and then you start to stand out, and then you're the bad egg. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, psychologically you can understand it. I mean, human beings are, I think, by default, uh, going to go where the numbers are because that's protection. You know, they're more more numbers. The more 
lions you can you can protect yourself against but it does work against us as workers you know in in the environment that we live in now the modern environment you don't have uh the protection that you get from being part of the group is actually sometimes what takes you uh down a bad path you know and it's actually self-harming in a way so yeah that's all interesting stuff to me you know it's like the, i try to look at it objectively as best I can. It's like, you know, you see there's interesting aspects of it, you know, that you can look at how psychology plays into so much of this stuff and how do we, how do we uh, go above common psychology to, to make it better for ourselves, you know, and and in this profession or any profession like fast food workers is a perfect example of people who can probably do more to help themselves. And, and, and hopefully they, the, the effort they're doing now is going to, going to make for a better world for them. That's what I hope. Yeah. 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 It's really, uh, I can't even imagine how, I, w- I would like to know the story behind the strike. I don't know. I mm-hmm. don't know any information about how it got inspired and communicated and mm-hmm. spread and supported because as you know, it's difficult to light a fire in, in <laughs> these desperate times. Yeah. Yeah. Going on strike is not an easy thing to do, but it's really, yeah. really impressive all right, so, so so can we put some of this in context of your career? And it's, it yes. seems kind of weird because we we got such a, a heavy subject, and and it's great. And and uh, where where did a lot of your ideas come from? Like where where what what do you think shaped the ideas that you have now? Looking at the world and 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 the business, who shaped those, or where where did you take some of that stuff from? Oh well, yeah, my father. Um, you know, we just talked about that he was the president mm-hmm. of that. Union movement was also, I guess, and my mother as well was a real white horse rider. She integrated the, we went, we moved to Virginia from Colorado when I was 13 Mm -hmm. and the first day on the school bus, uh, I laughed because my sister is in my mind. Um, my sister was sitting next to me in the school bus and we, um, we drove around and picked up all these white kids and then we stopped on the side of the road, sort of not in the subdivision, and picked up two black girls and someone in the back of the bus said, do we have to pick up these niggers every day? No way. And I was so shocked. I stood up and <laughs> immediately and turned around and said, what did you say? He said, what? And I said, did you say nigger? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'm sorry. I, I've only ever read that word yeah. in the history wow. book. I can't believe you said that. And I turned and my sister was pulling on my coat. <laughs> I sat back down. She said, what are you doing? And I said, I can't, I can't believe it. We sat alone. Every morning you had to go to the auditorium and we sat alone and had no friends oh for my a wh- gosh. while. But I tried out for the basketball team, became friends with those girls as well as many others that were, you know, super cool. And mm-hmm. my mother ended up integrating the roller skating rink and the public pool. Wow. They were both segregated still. <laughs> you know, I, I, you're you're not that old, and so and you and I are roughly the same age. I can only guess. You know, somewhere around, we're contemporaries. Yes. And to think in my childhood that 
that was still a real thing for people blows my mind. Well, it's still a real thing. It's still a real It's not as institutionalized, but yeah, it is still a thing for sure. But the idea of segregated swimming pools and segregated ice rinks or what I, I, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's so intense. And so it's still so backward. It's still – there's still so much fear and so – so much ignorance and it's it's based in so much anger that it's so unfounded it's so sad it's so heartbreaking to me that this is still where we are at today yeah no, to it, keep on the really heavy subjects yeah really let's <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for more fun. <laughs> so how does somebody who, who, who changes the dial? Yeah, it, but it is really, it really is important that, you know, we went to the roller skating rink. My mom brought a friend. We, you know, and they brought the police and. Oh my gosh. We had, she had to, you know, go to court and it was a big deal. Where where was this in Virginia? Warrington. Warrington. I don't know Warrington, but it's just. It's 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 shocking, you know. It's it's almost like it's it's shedding a light on something that I sometimes kind of forget about because I mean, for better or worse, uh, I didn't have a lot of uh, experience directly with racism like that growing up. Where did you grow up? On Long Island. Oh, yeah. and I mean, it was it was subtle. There was it was there. Yeah, and and and, and I saw friends of mine who who were the victim of racism and 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 that subtle sort of. Uh, they close the door and there's no black people here. Okay, we can talk about them now. I saw that firsthand and it never made me uh, comfortable and, and I always wanted to fight against that. And um, But I, I, I didn't actually have – I wasn't on the front lines of, of integrating places. So I, And, and that, that happened with you when you were 13. That's – I just I'm, – I'm, I'm, it, it, it's – it's scary to think that it's not that long ago that that mindset was like that, that that was the norm. Yeah. Crazy. It's still, I mean, I have a lot of friends on Facebook um, that are still in that environment and it's still just as potent as it ever was. <sighs> it, it, it's you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm spoiled sometimes, you know, having most of my experience come from the Northeast where by and large, you almost kind of have to, you know, learn to get along with people who you aren't necessarily like. So uh, we don't see it as much up here, but I'm, I know it does happen. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's everywhere. It's here. It's in Los Angeles. Um, I was dating a beautiful black actor in 19, let's see, 92, 93. Um, and we went out to L.A. and every time we would drive around in the car, we'd get pulled over by the cops. It's amazing. Just random. Didn't like it. They just didn't like it that we were hanging out together. So strange. Just pull over and just hassle us. It's it's you know it, it sort of could become a on this podcast. It's sort of like a theme where we do sometimes touch on on how that that is for people and it it, it keeps reminding me that we're not there yet, you know, yeah. by any stretch. Um, man, I just, it, it, it makes me uncomfortable. And it also, at the same time, is like, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm not believing you, but it's like, I'm in a state of disbelief that that still goes on. And it's like, ah, it's funny. I was thinking this last night, like 
you know, everybody has a different life experience and a lot of people, I mean, dear friends, a lot of people have lived a really beautiful sheltered life mm-hmm. that I can understand why they don't want to walk outside of that bubble because everything in there is so lovely. Mm-hmm. It's just so lovely. Yeah. And so to, you know, to step outside of it would mean, yeah, you have to to risk giving it up. Yeah. Because once yeah. you step outside of the bubble, you have to actually mix it up with the all the ugly things that are going on. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's hard. Not to say that that's why you, you're saying what you're saying, but it No, it but was. I think, I think I'll, 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 loan, I'll loan up to it. You know, I had uh, friends growing up who were all races and cultures, and it was great. And and I obviously know that there's plenty of stuff that goes on. and. And not that I turn a blind eye to it, but it's I'm seeing it as an observer rather than actually like engaged in it. So it's like I sometimes do kind of get caught in that bubble of thinking, okay, things aren't that bad. But but when you do hear stories like that, it it, it makes it very clear that for all of us, with you know, the idea is still uh, it's it's in the it's in the future. The idea of everybody kind of just giving up a lot of those preconceived notions about anybody is is still something that we have to look forward to rather than can enjoy now you know yeah it's crazy because well i lived in puerto rico for six years Mm -hmm. and so i was on the opposite side of this racism thing oh you know i was the white girl who everybody hated okay so um just 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 to just to keep things within context why did you go to puerto rico um I wanted to direct film, mm-hmm. and when I was in New York or Los Angeles, I was continually being pulled back by you know the pull of the money mm-hmm. um, to act, and I really wanted to direct and make films, and I wanted to make documentary films, and mm-hmm. so I went down to Puerto Rico. I w- had gone down there on vacation and realized, oh, this is a really good place for me to to do this, to incubate this craft because there's no money in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. in the film industry, mm-hmm. and so... It's very pure. Everybody is doing art there for basically it's like I have a barn. Let's put up a play like you want to entertain your friends. So everybody says, what do you got? You know, show me what you got. Well, I got this film. Well, let's put it up at the bar and we'll all watch it. And that'll be the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's um, sometimes it's, you know, made a larger thing of but for the tiny island still. Yeah. Um, so I went down there and I ended up being uh, sort of the rebel filmmaker for the huh. National <laughs> Nationalistas. It was great. Um, but I was also – so as much as I was welcomed and in, in befriended by many people there, I was also still as a stranger mm. um, getting mostly negative energy when I went into a shop or you know a restaurant or whatever. Um what kind when when you say you got negative energy what 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 would you notice or what would happen uh you know just gruff people being gruff and not welcoming and mm. um was was there anything like ever anything overt or was it more subtle like sometimes you have to really ask to be served and oh, stuff okay. like that you know because i don't know most people know that Puerto Rico is still not a state or it is a colony. It's not its own entity. It's not a country. Mm -hmm. It's a colony of the U.S. Mm -hmm. 
they're the first ones to go to war, the first people to be sent into battle, but they don't enjoy the luxuries of being a state. Right, right, right. So it's in a very um, negative position Hmm. financially and politically. So it's always, there's always a struggle down there between sort of the people of commerce, I would say, are more or less for statehood and then the people who are, I don't know, maybe more spiritual people want nationalism. They want to be a part of being their own country. Um, so what, for whatever reason, they, you know, followed a lot of nationalistas around and made documentaries about the sociopolitical situation down Hmm. there, but it was a great time. It was just very interesting and, and, uh, very rewarding, but it was also a time when I was, you know, experiencing the feeling of never being a part of a society, Mm. never being a part of a culture, always being on the outside. And I think I have a lot of empathy now that I didn't even have before. I always did. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it didn't, wasn't a stretch for you to understand the feelings of others, but you saw it firsthand. It makes a big difference to feel that feeling and realize how, what a negative impact it has. And, um, I, I, this is another story, but I went on a trip for, we founded an organization called Hear Me. We put uh, music studios into orphanages in Iraq, Sierra Leone, Cambodia, Puerto Rico, and Compton, and had all of the kids make their own version of the song Imagine on GarageBand, gave them you know computers and whatnot. <clears throat> and the last stop was Compton. And it was amazing because everywhere we had gone, including the refugee kids from Baghdad, everyone was so joyful. All of the kids were so happy when you walked in to just embrace you and make music and just so excited about everything. And the kids in Compton were so deeply depressed. Um, Their self-worth was so low. And you realized, oh, years of not having your own community Mm. be a safe haven. Mm -hmm. These other kids, yeah, they had been bombed by outside communities, other peoples, but their own people at least had always loved them and Mm -hmm. taken care of them. Right. And here we were in a place where for hundreds of years, you know, an entire culture wasn't ever felt, didn't ever feel at home. And it had left so deep uh, a scar on their psyche it was Mm. so depressing but you know obviously making music and ending up with a song and all of that stuff it was great and and, i'm sure that's why you did it fabulous yeah yeah yeah. so what what got that project started it sounds pretty amazing and and um the black eyed peas had one studio in compton that's the one that we ended up using for that for Mm -hmm. that um documentary and then we founded a project to make it go international after that. How do you even start that? I mean, how did, how, what got the ball rolling? Um, I had a friend who invited me to the Black Eyed Peas Grammy party. And mm. those kids from that studio were there in the VIP box. And <laughs> another friend of mine said he knew about my filmmaking and he was there as a, um, a part of the board of the organization and said, I really think that the reason you're here is to help this thing grow. I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> That's kind of random. 
thought, but I'll think about it. And so, yeah, I thought, oh, yeah, okay, I could maybe I could do that. And so I wow. made the documentary for his film festival, actually. And so, and so you've been to these expanded yeah. locations where they, they... I went to Iraq and to Sierra Leone. I did not go to Cambodia. I had a friend in Cambodia who was running an orphanage there. Wow. And then because of the years I had lived in Puerto Rico, I had a friend there who... Friends there who ran the studio there. And then we went to Compton and came back to Compton and did the last bit. That's fascinating. When 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 would when did that all happen? Um I was gonna say nineteen oh eight. Nineteen oh eight. This was uh two thousand eight. You know, the black eyed peas have had a long and illustrious <laughs> career. That ex- um, I've also lived many lifetimes. Yeah. <laughs> you and Fergie were hanging out wearing your bustles and your uh your uh, parasols. <laughs> She looked fabulous. <laughs> I don't really have anything to bust. Bus. <laughs> Isn't a bustle for someone who doesn't have much to bust in the first place? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, how does someone like you, who who you have a lot of other interests in, and you look at a lot of other things in the world, what was it about acting that drew you in? Like, how did you get involved in acting, especially hearing all this other stuff that 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 goes on in your head, you know? Yeah, I resisted it really hard. I was, um, my father is an actor and a singer and much more talented than I am. Well, <laughs> well, you said he was a teacher, so so just give a little bit of an idea of what his career was like. Well, he was, you know, an actor and a singer before I was born. And then he went to work to put food on the table for little Shay. Good for him. And then after the kids were grown... He moved to my mother insisted upon him moving to New York City because he was the star of all of the musicals in the Northern Virginia area. Huh. Um, and he really was. He was playing the houses of, you know, 2,500 people all around the regional theater world of Northern my Virginia. Gosh. And then moved to DC and toured with Richard Harris as Merlin. Oh, wow. So he's had a career. So I then said, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I tried doing a few other things and I I was a real estate investment banker. And worked on Wall Street and then... Which is fascinating. So I was like, okay, well... I want to just do a play. So I auditioned for a play in Boston. I was living in Boston and I auditioned for Crimes of the Heart and I got the, got Babe and I was Uh super excited. And then I met these guys from MIT who were doing theater that was super cutting edge and really, really intelligent. And I loved them and they were so great. And so I had such a good time doing it that I didn't want to go to work anymore. <laughs> it's so, not always the way, you know, you can, you start to realize how much fun you can have doing something that's not actual work, you know, and you're like, I just want to do this. Well, I think at a certain point in your life also, you realize, um, these people get me, there are people that are, these people are actually embracing of all of who I am. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that was a really important thing at that juncture in my life to feel like, okay, I don't have to hide different parts of my personality. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be the most eccentric one in the room every time I go into a space. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You do have to have to have a different mindset to be an actor. Um, 
that doesn't necessarily fit in the corporate world. And I think vice versa, if to, to, to thrive in a corporate world, I don't think you would be able to function as an actor. I think just the, the yeah. there's just certain DNA allows you to do one thing or another. So how old were you when you made that switch? Like when you decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. Um, let's see. I was 20. Because I was 28 already. So it was really late. Um, and you had done nothing up to that point. Or when did you do Quantum Leap? Oh, yeah. After. I went to acting school in New York then after that. So you at I, 28, you started? Yeah. Which is which is fascinating considering how much you've done since then. I actually thought you had started much earlier because some of the roles you played were were uh, you know yeah. you, you played you played a kid in in the National Lampoon thing, right? Yeah, I was playing. I guess I was playing like a teenager when I was thirty, and now it's weird. Now I'm playing older than my age. <laughs> it's not, it's not messed up. But that's how the that's how I knew that, and that's why I went to Puerto Rico. I was like, all right, you know what? There's going to be a period here where I'm not going to be able to get a job because you know there's the the young mom, mm-hmm. and then there's the grandma. Yeah, yeah. And well, you're in really that you're in that young mom between. thing. You're in that young mom thing now. No, no, no. No, come on. Okay, thanks. Tell everybody I'm in that young mom She's thing. She's in the young mom thing. Are you kidding? I don't know. We'll see. My my, my peeps. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Um, no, so far I'm getting... I'm not getting sent out for the young mom thing now. It's, I can play... I, I, even when I was in high school, mm-hmm. we had a one-act play festival that went to state, and we got... Um, disqualified and we were like what's going on and the man came back we uh, my our director asked to speak to him and he said you have a ringer because oh. i was playing a, an old lady older lady in a very convincing fashion i but think you, there's but a you, little you like, old lady really thing young. about me <laughs> you're well you were around in 1908 so I know, that's what it so is. no wonder they thought there was something amiss because you were you were literally 79 years old when you were doing this high school play <laughs> i don't blame true. people for getting mad no so <laughs> so so you 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 definitely got a you know it's it's a, it's really interesting to hear that and and again it goes back to the idea of maybe somebody hearing this who's like on the fence like should i try but no nah, i waited too long so it's, you can start a career and have a healthy one at 28 years old. Actually, that's oh, when I started. My father started at 55. Right. Exactly. It's never too late. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a note of encouragement. And, and that literally is when I started, but I've done so far less than you. <laughs> so, it, 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 it's fine. You know, it's, I don't want you to feel bad about it. You don't need to back away from it because honestly, whereas you were able to play somebody who was 16 when you were 30, I looked like this when I was 18. So there, there was no way for me to start working well until I kind of grew into my look. So I, yeah, I, that's, know, that's my hope. Yeah. We all have like a, uh, well, I feel like I have two looks. It's really going to be about that. Yeah. What, what are those two looks? I don't want to say that too Oh, loud. you know what? Well, okay. I'll say that later. All right. Tell me later. We'll I'll tell you later. All right. I won't tell anybody. I promise. <laughs> I won't tweet it out or anything. <laughs> what was that show on TV when I was a kid? Maud? Not Maud. Was it Maud that had the Ma- grandma, the cranky grandma? Oh, man. That was sort of a staple of a lot of shows. Like like Mama's Family? Like yeah. Vicki Lawrence? It was, yeah, kind of like uh, that. But she Maude. was really, she was the one who would just walk into the room and be like, ah, 
<laughs> not you're not not Golden Girls. No, no. Oh, Before man. Golden Girls. Now, now I'm gonna have to go like figure out what. I'm gonna date myself, so I'm just gonna stop now. But anyway, I always wanted to be. I found that so freeing that idea that you could just say whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. And be whoever you wanted and wear purple and all that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I kind of I had that thought the other day where I'm like, you know, I, I'm just going to the store and like when I was 22. Like, I had to be ready to go to the store just in case. Yeah. You know, you never knew. Yeah. And I held on to that. I held on to that for a long time. Like, you know, even even after I was married and I had kids and I'm, I'm looking around and I'm like, I'm like, I better be on my, I better look good. And I better be completely, like, show ready to leave the house. I'm going to go to the corner and get some gum, you know. But now I'm like, I, 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 hit, a, I hit a point where I got past and I'm like, I, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, that's And I think so it just gets better good. from there, yeah. It's so freeing, right? Yeah. Catherine Cartledge, do you know who that is? Uh, if you if you give me some um, context. She's in all Mike Lee's movies. Oh, okay. Um, all right. She passed on, but she was a, a friend and a really cool. She talked to me once about turning 40. She had told me that there was nothing better in the world <laughs> because you just didn't give a shite anymore what anybody <laughs> thought about you and then it was the best feeling and I think it's so true it's like you really got to get to that place as an actor yeah. particularly in the last film I did I told my boyfriend before I left the house the first day I said okay well I'm not going to let you see it but um, <laughs> I've decided that I'm going to go Jack Nicholson with this one <laughs> Which meant in what in what sense? Which meant let it all hang out. You know, I'm gonna oh, okay. I'm gonna gain some weight. I'm gonna look old. I'm gonna look whatever flabby because that's this character. I'm not gonna try to be pretty anymore. It's just not gonna serve me anymore. So, if you're gonna continue to do this craft, you you know, at a certain age, mm. you have to let go of your ego. Otherwise, you gotta quit, right? I you know, I, I think I think there are plenty of examples out there of people who I would have loved to watch get gracefully older because I liked them so much when they were uh, just a younger actor, but they couldn't let go, like you just said. And now it's uncomfortable to see them trying to hang on. Yeah, and you just wish that they and and the industry doesn't help. I'm sure. Uh, I can't say that as, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dude who, you know, doesn't know a heck of a lot about what it's like to be a woman. But I know the industry is tougher on women and I know that it's hard to let go and, and believe that you're still going to have the same kind of career moving forward. But, you know, I, 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 I think that's great if you can if you can embrace getting older and then just kind of let it take you to something new. It's hard. It's really hard in terms of the industry, particularly the television industry. I just like to say out loud. Women get wrinkles, <laughs> even if they're wealthy. You can't get a job in TV if you're wrinkly because television really wants you to play up to this this ideal. Yeah. You know, you really want – they really want like – even the cops, even the doctors, they all have their hair done and they have mm. their lipstick on. They're like full on have manicures while they're at the hospital. And <laughs> you know, it's like it didn't used to be like that. TV used to have some edge. Norman Lear's stuff was always really, yeah. yeah. I thought it was think, very realistic. Yeah, I mean, I, do you think though that there is sort of a, a an underlying current of TV that's more like that though because of stuff like HBO and and stuff that. Uh, um, A and E is doing where they are bringing people who are grittier and and more 
real to TV again? Do you yeah, think that's happening? Yeah, it's interesting because I think the the commercial aspect of TV, meaning having mm-hmm. ads on television, yeah, the idea of selling product is so wrapped up now, it's so intimately wrapped up with the programs themselves. Mm-hmm. They're all about selling these products in these crazy ways. Yeah. And the cable shows are so much cooler because mm. they're not caught up in that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 that's, and my hope is that, you know, we always say, and I'm sure you've said this a million times, it's all cyclical. You know, yeah. it all comes around. It'll come around. It'll do. So I'm hoping that's one of the cycles that, that people will get, you know, tired of one thing. It, it, you know, you can get tired of anything. You know, you find your favorite food, you, you you eat that food three days a week, or three times a day, seven days a week. You're going to get tired of your favorite food. So the hope is that none of it is um, boredom proof. So they're going to have to innovate and do different things in that cyclical way. And one of them, is, I hope, is that 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 people who um, are grittier and, and have more real stuff going on uh, will become much more in vogue for a while. And yeah. then they'll get tired of that, too. So Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope I hope you're right because I think that's where our real art lies. Really, we want to be in touch with our humanity. We want to know that we exist in in the larger sphere. You know that somebody else is like us, and somebody else has experienced what we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Someone else is dealing with aging, and you know all of the things that go along with it. And as the populace gets older, I think they also want to they want to see themselves on television. They don't want to see um, things that they can't really relate to. Yeah. It's yeah. I look at my parents as a really good example of that. You know, they, they, they will gravitate towards things that speak to them. And, and if you're not going to serve everybody, you're missing out on a huge chunk of the population. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, do you feel a responsibility as a filmmaker and as an artist to provide that to people? Do you mean, do you feel like you should be out there producing stuff that, that fills that need? I'm feeling well. I've just recently written two scripts. I've just written for the first time, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, I was compelled um, both times to tell the truth about things that I've that I see or feel for sure. Mm. But I noticed that I had to consciously include an older woman in. You know, I replaced an older man with an older woman in mm. one of the scripts because I realized, you know, geez, I. Yeah, you didn't pass your own Bechdel test or whatever it's called. Yeah, Yeah. I fell into it myself. Interesting. And I know, you know, I talk about this all the time, how, you know, there are no women, um, older women particularly, but no women, period, in Hollywood movies. It's just crazy that, you know, that hundreds of guys in a film. Yeah, yeah. and there's three women. There were three women and there were a hundred (laughs) guys. Yeah. And men don't see that. It's right, so, right. It, or women don't see that either. We've just so, we're so conditioned. We don't even notice it. True, true. So yeah, it is our responsibility as, as artists to um, evolutionize our planet. That is part of our role. I yeah. Guess. I guess that's a greater uh, statement. You can make that about all of life. You know, it's sort of, we have to take responsibility for what we're doing in hopes of making it better, you know? Yeah. Otherwise, what are we doing? I'm, I mean, yes, beauty is important. I have friends that just make beautiful things, and I love having them in my life. And mm. I think it's great to have beautiful music and beautiful whatever art. But I also do think that evolution is paramount. 
Yeah, yeah. Even on a you know a microscopic level, like when I see somebody throwing a piece of garbage out like of their window while I'm driving, it's like that drives me so nuts. And all it would take was just like not doing that. Just don't do that. That's not even an action. That's like the lack of action would just make things a little bit better. Yeah. You know, just like that small thing that you can do or actually not do would be enough to make a little bit of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a grand thing. It's small, tiny. I'm working on, though, my judgment because I'm, I'm, I find myself judging others and realizing, you know, I look back at myself five, ten, whatever years ago, and I'm embarrassed by myself. So who am I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't judge anybody <laughs> because I'm just as dorky and unevolved as the next guy. Yeah, you know? but, but, but let's be honest, we're better. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're definitely cooler. No. What? <laughs> you're so much cooler than me. I don't know that cool has ever been used to describe me, so I appreciate it, but... <laughs> you are. You know you're cool. Uh, am I? Uh, so, honey, what's, this, what's the new thing coming out? What, 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 what can we look forward to? Um, Boardwalk Empire. There you go. October 5th, as far as I know. October 5th. October well, we'll be, 5th. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. We'll keep an eye on it. And how do people get, you know, I, I know you have a following. I know you have, you know, you've, you've had uh, yes, things that people. there are masses <laughs> waiting for my reemergence. <laughs> Didn't you what? see them on the street? They, made, they named their kids after you? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about those. <laughs> so, so I know you have to try to, you know, appease your public. So where, where do people find you if they want to keep in touch with where, where, what's going on with you? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, this came up yesterday. I have a guy who's like trying to help me with my, with Hear Me, um, with my nonprofit. We're mm. trying to win a grant right now. Mm. And uh, so he was trying to help me with social media. And he said, I need to make an Instagram page for Shay Delin huh? so that it's like public. But yeah, you can find me on. Are you on Twitter? On Twitter, yeah. Okay. Shadelyn, S H A E D L Y N. And 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 that that's pretty good. Yeah. You don't have a website. Um, What's the Hear Me website? Do you I do have a website. It's humanitystudios.com, and I teach acting class uh, at Humanity Studios, so you can find me there. And I have a Vimeo page with my documentaries and short films on it. It's called Shot in the Dark. Awesome stuff. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so honored. Oh, jeez. Honored. The, the, the honor is mine. <laughs> <laughs> you are just the coolest. Oh, stop. You oh, stop. <laughs> I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. I mean, we got some stuff there. Shade to Lynn. If you want to uh, check out Shade to Lynn or keep in touch with her, she's got a, a Twitter account. She's at Shadelyn, S-H-A-E-D-L-Y-N. And uh, if you want to find out more about uh, Hear Me and the organization that she's involved with, there's uh, uh, the webpage, hearmehub.org. You can also go to twitter.com slash hearmehub or at hearmehub. You get the idea, but but go check them out because they're doing some great work with kids who uh, otherwise uh, could, could really use it. So... Uh, Get involved if you can. 
That about does it for another edition of Bring Your Own Lunch. Thanks for being here. Also want to say thank you to Banuba for providing the music, beginning, middle, and end of this show. Banuba.net. Find out where they'll be. Download some of their music. They are awesome. Uh, don't forget, September 30th, Tuesday night, 8 p.m. at Treehouse Theater in New York City. We will be doing New York Short Film Shootout number three. Check out uh, the site, uh, NYSFSO. It's really just forwards to our Facebook page for right now, but you get the idea. Uh, Vinny Petrosini and I are prepping for that one. We will be announcing the lineup for this uh, next event uh, this week, so check that out. Don't forget to go to our website, bringyourownlunch.com. Uh, you can get information about T-shirts. Go to our Amazon link. Support the show. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook uh, by going to facebook.com slash bringyourownlunch or find us on Twitter at BYOL Podcast. And, of course, please subscribe, rate, review, share on iTunes. That's probably the best way you can uh, cost-free support our program. Uh, do that as soon as possible because... Because I said so, and and that should be enough for you, okay? Fine. I don't know why I got angry there. I just did. Stay tuned for the Jimmy Jack Cow Punch Hour, followed by Mansoor and the Fish. Until next week, when I'll have another terrific guest. This is Dave. I'll see you next Tuesday. Terrence McGurk's. (laughs) 